0: As we come to the scripture, let me ask you, please, to turn to um, the Gospel of John and chapter 20. Gospel of John and chapter 20, please. I want to read uh, verses um, 1 through 18, familiar passage um, during this resurrection season for us. So, John and chapter 20. And in a moment, I'll begin uh, reading with verse 1. As you find that, let's let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we need your help, uh, as we always do in everything, but particularly now we need your help, uh, that you would enable us to, to really see, that you would give us eyes, to see ears, to hear all that is true. Please take from us any resistance that we may have to, to hearing this word and, and to uh, overcome any unbelief in us, uh, that we might believe that Jesus is risen and that All that he has promised to do, he has done. And everything necessary for life and godliness is secure in him. So please be with us now as we listen to this word and think through it together. In Jesus' name, amen. From John in chapter 20, verse 1. Now, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. Uh, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth would have been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. In the history of the church, this... Particular time of year is known as Easter Tide. Uh, as we have Christmas Tide after Christmas, we have Easter Tide after Easter. And this is a time when the church historically looks at the resurrection appearances of of Jesus. We've been uh, thinking through for the last uh, couple of months or so various encounters that people had with Jesus. So it seems right at this time to think through and to see encounters that people had with the risen Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we see this encounter that Mary, Mary Magdalene as we know her, uh, had with the risen Lord Jesus. I've shared from time to time about my first conscious experience with this particular passage. That is to say, the first one, I, re- I remember uh, hearing this passage uh Uh, laid out. And it it was when I was a kid, and and it was in our children's church, and and there was this woman named Mrs. Franz. Now, Mrs. Franz um, had taught my father in elementary school, and then my oldest sister, and my next sister, and my next sister, and then me. So she knew us all. Uh, She just lived a couple of blocks from where I lived as a kid, and I only lived a half a block from where my paternal grandparents lived, where my father had grown up. So it was that kind of a a community. And she was doing children's church, and she had a flannel graph. Now, if you remember flannel graphs, I always tease that that's how we got our felt needs met. But, but there was a flannel graph and, and, and she was showing this time. It was Easter time and, and she was uh, laying this out for us. And so she had the tomb there and, and, and Peter and John and, and, they were looking in and, 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 and then, then all of a sudden she takes away Peter and John and there's just Mary. And, and you can tell that Mary's bent over she's weeping and 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 mrs Franz explains all this to us and and then there is jesus and and y- y- you wonder what's going to happen then and she doesn't recognize him mrs france tells us and then all of a sudden you know this is jesus because just the way she's laid it out in the picture there and 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 she says mary I can still hear her say that. And I can remember each year, because every year we got the same story from the same person in the same way. Each year I remember being stunned by that, by that moment. The intimacy of the moment, how personal really, It wasn't, and she would always then say at the end of that story, "You know, Jesus knows your name." And somehow, I could hear him say it. Uh, This encounter that Mary has with Jesus is is revealing. It reveals something ultimately in her, and when we see it come to pass in her, and what we see revealed is faith. Remember, when we we first started this series of encounters with Jesus, um, um, we said that Jesus had, as a baby, been encountered by this old man, Simeon. And Simeon had said something to the effect of, uh, many hearts will be revealed by seeing you. Many hearts will be revealed. And, and we've been, we've been watching as various hearts have been revealed what's in the hearts of people. And, and for Mary, uh, we see this transformation actually happen in her to go from hopelessness actually to, to real faith. And so John doesn't exactly say, well, what we see in Mary is faith, but when we read it, we go, oh, that's what it is. She believes, she sees him, she believes, and faith Uh, materializes if you will in in her and so what what i want to look at this morning if god will help us is to be able to see how this faith materializes in her and and then perhaps we can see how it even happens in us and at first we see how faith comes to the apostle john so when Mary comes to the tomb and the other narrators, the other gospel writers give us more detail about this, uh, that uh, other women were with Mary and so forth. And even have a hint of it here where Mary refers to we uh, in seeing this tomb. But John doesn't seem interested in perhaps why she came or or who was with her. John seems interested ultimately just that she's there and that she reports to Peter and John and Peter and John come. And so when Peter and John come to, to, the, to the tomb of Jesus, um, John gets there first and, and looks in and, and sees. Now, interestingly, the particular word that the apostle John uses to describe uh, John seeing is, is, is a word that simply means he observes. If you ask him what he saw he could tell you what he saw the tomb had no body in it but the linen cloths were laid out uh, laid out and the face cloth was 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 folded up over this end and and, and there are angels there that's he would say that that's, that's what he meant he saw but then peter comes peter gets there second but peter being peter uh, goes in and and he sees and the word that John uses for sees there is a word that we would uh, be translated in English almost as theorize. He begins to mull it over. He begins to, to say, I, I see the linen cloths, I see the faith cloths, I see the angels. What's going on here? What does all this mean? And he might begin to think, there's no body. But the grave robbers wouldn't just take the body. They'd take the linen cloths and the spices because that's the valuable part here. That's really what they could sell in the open market. The body is no value to anybody. So why would they take the body and not the linens and the spices? I mean, why would they here? What's, why are these angels here? What's really going on in this place? But, but then Peter because John takes a peek. John looks in and it says that he sees... And believes. Now he just doesn't believe that there's no body in there. Oh, telling you the truth, there's no body. But, but he sees the word there, perceives, means to really perceive, to really understand. He actually understands what's taken place. And now he believes. Now he doesn't believe as he's going to believe. That is to say, he doesn't believe On the basis of seeing Jesus and Jesus rehearsing for him all of the scriptures where it shows that he must rise from the dead, Uh, Jesus will do that. Because he puts here that they didn't understand that he must rise from the dead from the scripture. They didn't understand that yet. But still he believed. He sees it. He really sees it. This manifestation of faith coming to him. It's rational. He thinks through it. But we know that it's more than rational because of other encounters that have happened that we've discussed with uh, others. Nicodemus, you remember. Uh, Jesus said to him, unless someone's born again, they can't see. Same word as with John. Can't see, can't understand, can't perceive, can't really know the kingdom of God. So we know something transformational happened in John that enabled him to see, oh, it made sense. Nobody. Risen, but he believed. He really believed, you see. And it's crucial to believe in this resurrection, uh, as we know. Uh, when the Apostle Paul writes about the gospel and writes about coming to faith uh, in Romans in chapter 10, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10, he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and and is saved. Uh, And he goes on to say, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, this resurrection is important. On Easter Sunday, uh, I mentioned uh, uh, this verse in Romans chapter 4, verse 25 who speaks of the Lord Jesus, it says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, when Jesus was raised, it was that declaration where God was saying, yes, uh, I've accepted his sacrifice on your behalf. I've accepted his sacrifice for sins. And once he's paid, which he did, in full for sins, he was free to go, for he had no sins in himself, nothing for which he personally had to die. He was dying for the sins of others. And so he was raised that God could say to all who believe, You are justified. You are accepted by me. I see you as righteous in my sight. Not because of you, but because of what Jesus did in his life and his death. And so you see, it's important for us to believe, to know that he was raised from the dead. Because if he wasn't, if he stayed dead, then there's no justification, no forgiveness of sins, no direct declaration by God to us who believe that were accepted righteous in his sight, you see. And we know as we looked at Easter Sunday from First Corinthians chapter 15 that because of the death of Jesus, the sting of death was taken away. He paid for our sins. The condemnation, which is justly to us, was taken by him. And when he was raised, you see, oh, raised to life as the firstfruits, that we too are raised to newness of life spiritually and the day will come when we literally raised bodily uh, to live eternally uh, on the new earth, under the new heavens. That's all of this. And so it's necessary for us uh, to believe this. John uh, came to believe at that moment and others would even as they would see the Lord Jesus raised from the dead. But 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 Mary. There she is weeping outside of uh, the tomb. The, the angels ask her why, <laughs> why are you weeping? I mean, for them this—they're they're seeing all this play out. Uh, these angels, the greatest event in human history, in history, in the history of the world. You see, and uh, Jesus is raised from the dead, and and here she is weeping, and you get the senses—they're uh, wondering. Why? But, but for her, you see, she had no category in her brain that he was actually raised from the dead. She wasn't predisposed, if you will, uh, to believe, uh, uh, that, um, it seems like her faith was gone. She had thought, I trust, that he was the Messiah, but, but now he's dead. He was her hope that he would transform Lives like he had transformed hers, but now he's, he's dead. And so she comes now to honor his body, his dead body. I mean, she was a devoted follower of Jesus. We we know some about her. If you flip back to Luke and chapter eight, uh, we can see uh, something about, um, about Mary, verse one in Luke and chapter eight. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, uh, the wife of Husa, uh, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them, out of their means. And so, here, here we learn about Mary Magdalene. Uh, really, this is the, all we know of her, that um, first she was part of the women, group of women that traveled with Jesus and the disciples. Um, and he had uh, delivered her, if you will, from seven demons. Now, in Scripture, the number seven is often uh, a number for completion or perfection. Um, I trust there were seven, but the sense being that she was completely dominated her life, um, overwhelmed, overtaken by demons in her. Um, Some think that she was a prostitute. We don't have any evidence that that was true. They confuse her with the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, uh, which just precedes what Luke is writing about now. You think if it was, she was the same woman, he would have referenced back and said, you know, the woman that came and anointed Jesus' <clears throat> feet with her, clean Jesus' feet with her tears and all that. But he doesn't. He just says she was delivered from seven demons. And so it's unlikely that that's her. Then, of course, in fiction, there's all kinds of things that we read about Mary Magdalene. But this we know to be true, that she was delivered from these seven demons. Demons. We don't know exactly how that worked out in her life, but we see uh, demons in the lives of others. Um, we see the mental torture that those who were under the control of demons experienced as Jesus met with them. A distorted appearance, speech. Seizures common, it seems, amongst those uncontrollable for people who were under this domination of, of demons, physical maladies of all kinds. But whatever it was, she, no doubt, by her peers in those days, was criticized and ostracized and an outcast. And Jesus transformed her life. And she followed him. And with these other women, even uh, was faithful to provide for the disciples out of their means that is, they, they helped financially support uh, what Jesus and the disciples were doing and she would travel with them, so no doubt she had seen and or heard how he, many of his miracles, uh, feeding the five thousand this calming the storm, she would know about the, the raising of, uh, of, of of the various ones from the dead, uh, giving sight to the blind enabling the mute to speak, the lame to walk. She would know these things. She would have heard Jesus teaching about himself, who he was, um, claiming to be the son of man, the son of God. She would know all of that, um, part of the circle of those who would understand the teaching of Jesus. Um, She had seen, much. she no doubt knew what he had said about going to Jerusalem, his purpose for being there, that, that he was going up and that he would be handed over to these uh, wicked men that he would be killed. And on the third day, he'd rise. But it didn't seem to dawn on her at that moment in time that he did actually rise from the dead when the tomb was was empty. Again, no thought of that. Now, she, as other Jews, might believe in a resurrection of the dead, but that would be a resurrection that would take place at the end of time. But time still was going on. And so how could it be that he was even resurrected? And, and so she wouldn't have thought at all. about about that because of what she'd seen. She and the other women were there with Jesus when he was crucified. They were watching, the scripture tells us, from a distance. The the men uh, mostly had fled, but the women who were devoted to Jesus were watching, were there. She had seen it She had seen Jesus uh, being beaten, no doubt. She had seen him fall carrying the cross, no doubt. She was there watching, observing when they nailed him to the cross, when his body was torn and the cross was planted in the ground, having been hoisted in the air. And she had seen all of that. She had heard his cry, take his last breath taken from the cross, then followed Joseph to the tomb, seen him laid in the tomb, the stone rolled in front. We're done? Oh, there you go. Can we find out where I was? Obviously, the Lord didn't like what I just said, so I'll change it. We're good. So they tell me there was a bit of technical difficulties in the middle of Mary, Mary Magdalene here and observing what uh, Jesus uh, happened to Jesus on the cross. So let me just kind of reiterate that that the women, many of the women, uh, watched while the men fled. Let me read you a quote uh, from a 19th century New Testament scholar. Um, the Lord must have wanted me to, to uh, include this quote because I skipped it when the cameras went down. Uh, but, but so this I trust will be very powerful in the lives of many. Um, and it really is because of the way that Jesus treated and related to women, which was completely different than any one of his day would have done so. And the women and their faithfulness to Jesus. The scholar writes, no woman is mentioned as speaking against our Lord in his life were having a share in his death. On the contrary, he was anointed by a woman for his burial. Women were the last at his grave and the first at at his resurrection. To a woman, he first appeared when he rose again. Women ministered to his wants. Women bewailed and lamented him. A heathen woman interceded for his life with her husband, Pilate, and above all, of a woman he was born. And Mary was one of them who contributed to his needs, who followed him, who loved him hoped in him these women would watch and did watch uh, from a distance when Jesus was being tried when he was beaten uh, when he carried his cross when the cross was hoisted in the air and planted in the ground when he cried his last Uh, they would follow Joseph to the tomb They would see his body laid in the tomb. The stone rolled in front. She knew he was dead. So on that Sunday morning coming to honor his body, uh, that's all she could think about. That's all all she knew. And, and, And I think... I think about us and, and what it means to come to faith and what we've learned from these other encounters. I mentioned a few minutes ago about Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus and, and this realization that because of sin in our lives, we can't really see, really see, really understand, really believe, can't really see the kingdom of God unless there's been a spiritual process of rebirth, unless something's happened to us spiritually. Um, can't really... Not simply comprehend, but we can't apprehend, nor be apprehended by, but apprehend the truth that is really taken and grab a hold of it and and believe it. You remember that man that's referred to uh, by us often as the rich young ruler who came to Jesus wanting to know how to inherit eternal life. And, and, and Jesus said to him, you need to really love. You really need to really live, you really need to love need to love God. And you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, so, so really what you need to do is sell all that you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. And and we realized the impossibility of that for this man. He looked at his wealth. And he said, that will make me happier than following. That will give me life, not turning my back on it and following, following Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said in the midst of that to his disciples? He said, you know, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God. And, 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 and you think of that image and you go, well, then it must be impossible. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. He says, yeah, yes, yes, but remember what's impossible for people, for human beings, is possible with God and then he went on to prove that because he met a rich man named Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus came to faith and he said, "Well, how can that happen how can this rich man go through the eye of a needle uh, in order to uh, enter the kingdom of of God and we realized it was possible for God to do that so we then realize that seeing really seeing believing is a gift faith is really a gift Because you see, sin causes us to be blind to the things of God. Remember what Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Remember, he said, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Or as the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the evil one has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Now that's real blindness because there's nothing brighter than the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I mean, that's as bright as it can be. If you can't see that, you're really blind. So Paul goes on to say, yes, we're dead. There's no life in us, no spiritual life in us because of sin. So the question is, what can really overcome that. You see, this unbelief is deep-seated in us. It's natural to us. Because there's this sense that we really want to be in control of our lives, and we realize that if we trust in Jesus, what we're actually doing is saying, I'm trusting you with my life. I'm no longer trusting me with my life. And, and, And sin causes us to want to hang on to what we can. There's a, uh, Tim Keller in an in a, in a interesting discussion about belief and unbelief. Quote someone I've never read. Uh, so I'll admit that right off. Usually I try to read everybody I quote. But I haven't been able to locate this book. But he uh, refers to Thomas Nagel. A prom- prominent American philosopher. who wrote a book called The Last Word. And he mentions what he calls the fear of religion. The fear of believing, if you will, in God. And he says that this fear is based on giving up, if you will, control of our lives. And so very honestly, this philosopher writes, I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition. I'm curious whether there is anyone who is genuinely indifferent as to whether or not there is a God. And we go, yes, of course. We wonder. We're naturally, you see, biased against belief. We know from the Scripture it's a manifestation. It's a result of our sin. It blinds us. And it's irrational. We think we'd be better off in control of our lives than God. And yet, you see, that's what sin does to us. so Keller goes on to say, here's how we should respond to that. We should be skeptical of our unbelief. (laughs) <laughs> then we should be skeptical of unbelief. Our unbelief, we should say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm naturally biased towards unbelief, so maybe I should give a listen. And maybe as I give a listen to this gospel of Jesus, I should say to God, hey, I'm naturally inclined not to believe this, could you help me? Could, could you really help me believe this? He says, maybe that would be a good thing to, to do. But with Mary, how does this faith uh, come uh to her uh fascinatingly jesus shows up and when she does she doesn't and when he does she doesn't recognize him perhaps uh, you could say his vision was blurred by her tears uh, or her grief but really she had no mindset to see jesus she was not expecting to see him at all so she thinks he's the gardener and so he comes to her and, and he asks one question first, same question the angels asked her, but then he has a really penetrating follow-up question. The, the, the question that the angels had asked her is, why are you weeping? And then he adds to that, whom are you seeking? Now, the, the, the answer that she would give to that is, I'm weeping because Jesus is dead, and I'm looking for his dead body. But, but that wasn't going to help her at all. To find the dead body of Jesus, and then, so she says to him, thinking him to be the gardener. If you've carried him away, tell me really where you've you've laid him. And then he says it, Mary. Just overwhelmed. We just had one expression, that one word. It's, it's like, at least for me as a kid when I was watching up on the flannel graph, and even as an adult, as I read this and I've read it countless times. Everything stops. I mean, it's, can you see the countenance of Mary completely change? I read earlier a passage of John chapter 10 and, and, and Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they hear my voice. They know my voice. And she did. She, she heard it. She knew exactly. And everything changed at that point in time. She had no category in her brain for resurrection. All of a sudden, she had no category in her brain for no resurrection. Of course he's risen. He's standing right here. And everything at that moment in time changes uh, for. For Mary, and what we need to see here is that it wasn't so much that she found him, but that he found her. If he hadn't said anything, she would never have found him. She would have gone back to the disciples and said, I don't get it, the tomb's empty and the gardener's just picking weeds planting flowers. I don't know what he's doing. But the gardener's there. It's the only person around besides the angels. (laughs) Because she would have never seen him. Because he's unfathomable. I mean, how do you see the risen Christ? How can you anticipate that? We don't have a category in our brain for the victory that he won. And for the glorious nature of this one who is man, God, who is the Lord. She was looking for Jesus who was dead. And there he was, alive, this Jesus. And he didn't say, he didn't go all Lionel Richie on him and say, hello, it's me you're looking for. You know, he, he didn't do that. He, he said, no, no, no. I know you. You're Mary. And that changed everything. Remember, when we considered the encounter that this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman had with Jesus. And you remember, she too was, was, was ostracized. She was an outcast. She was there at the well in the middle of the day. She didn't want to be seen by anybody and nobody wanted to be seen with her. And so she came to get water in the middle of the day. And, 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 and Jesus met with her and, and 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 said to her, I can give you living water salvation. And it was amazing to her when she went out and told the, the people of the city, the men of the city about this. She said, he knows everything about me. He told, he told me everything about me. And, and and we said then, you know, that's, that's the great desire of people. A great frustration for human beings is to be not known and rejected. Has that ever happened to you? You know, people don't like you and you go, but they don't even know me. Ah, that's a great frustration for us. A great insecurity for us is to not be known but still accepted because then we're always worried what happens when they actually get to know me they probably won't like me the great fear is that we're known and rejected that's really the deep seated fear that we have if ever they really got to know me they, they really wouldn't like me they really would reject me but here's Jesus he knew this woman at the well, he, he knew Mary and he had still accepted. Oh. See, that's the deepest longing of our hearts to be known and, and accepted. We, we know ourselves, we know our sin, and we know therefore that if, God should condemn us and our fear is that He knows us and will condemn us and so often we run from Him or or, or try to create another God in His in our image and, and, and say that that God that we've just created accepts us and we do all kinds of things, all kinds of gymnastics spiritually uh, And yet here's Jesus and He says, No 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 I really know you and I've given myself For you and I've risen. And, and now I've found you. I came to seek and to save. I came to seek and to save the lost. And so he finds Mary in the midst of this. And isn't it marvelous that it's Mary? I mean, you think about her life. She would know she didn't deserve any of this. She was, she was possessed, if you will, demonized. She was possessed by, by demons. And, and, and again, uh, that puts you about as low on the social uh, register as you can be, I suppose. You know what I mean? I mean, of all the things that could, could knock you off the, the social standing, uh, being possessed by demons probably really does it for you. And you can only imagine what her life was like, and she was completely powerless, completely helpless. Uh, uh, uh those inhabited by demons didn't go to God and say, could you, could you free me? He came to them and freed them. And thus she would know it was was grace. Her faithfulness to him wasn't so that he would love her, her faithfulness to him was because he had loved her and had delivered her. What a great blessing to all of us, you see. We're Mary. And yet, the Lord knows our names. And he comes and calls us. And when he does, it changes everything. It changes everything. Because you see, faith is always personal. It isn't so much that Jesus died for the sins of sinners. Oh, he did. But but when faith really comes, uh, we know, as Luther said, "It's Christianity is a religion of personal pronouns. He died for me. He died for my sins that's what we see, that's what we come to understand, and that's what she really would come to understand at, at, at this point. Um, and so this is good news, you see, when we really see it. And it's rational. It be, it, we, we see it. There's evidence. There's an empty tomb. There are witnesses to this empty tomb. Uh, we read of it, and we see of it, and we go, okay, this is reasonable that this took place. And then also it's rational because we begin to look in our own lives, and we see our sin. And we see how we're powerless against it. And we the, sin, the sins of humanity, generation by generation by generation, and how nothing's really changed. And we see the, the, the brokenness of life in society and culture, generation after generation after generation, and we still see death. And, and, and this fear of death ultimately rules us. I mean, we're doing the right things now. To try to be safe. Why? So that, what? We don't die. Death still is, 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 is huge in our consciousness. We don't like to admit it, but, but it's there. And look what it causes us to do. Just the very presence of it. And yet still, back of our minds, we know that if we don't die of this, we're going to die of something. Because death is still there. No one's conquered it yet. Oh, lifespans have come and gone, increased, decreased, increasing in some years, you see. And, and so now if you get to 90, that's good, or 100, like my dad. or But not too many past that much, right? It's not very long compared to eternity. And so so Jesus comes to deal with all of that. And so in one sense, it's rational for us to say, I see all of this and I see the need. And yet still... still there is something that is impossible for us to believe but it's not impossible for God and thus we see his work this last scene very quickly this last scene—it's rather curious to us because Mary does exactly what we would expect her to do. I would expect her to do uh, when realizing this is really Jesus. She grabs a hold of him, and, and 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 that's a good thing because at least we're aware it's not a ghost or a hallucination. It's a real Jesus. She's grabbing a hold of someone here, but I get the sense that she's grabbing a hold of him, saying, um, "You're never getting away from me again." You know, I uh, got you now. And other people touched Jesus after he was resurrected, and he, he, he let them do it. He even invited Thomas to touch him. Uh, but but this time with Mary, he says, don't cling to me. And I say, well, Jesus, that wasn't very nice. But he's realizing something. She needs to learn something and communicate that to the disciples. Notice what is being said here. He says, don't cling to me, verse 17, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. The sense in which Jesus is saying, it's going to be different now. See, I haven't ascended yet. In fact, I'm ascending. You get the sense that it wasn't with them. He was with the Father and he would come back. And I don't know how all that worked. But he had told his disciples that he was going away and going to prepare a place for them and all that. But now he says, it's going to be different. You've walked with me. You've touched me. You've listened to me. Uh, We've gotten hungry and eaten. uh, We've gotten weary. All of that. But, But now, I'm the risen one. And I'm going to ascend and rule and reign over all things. So you're not going to have me in the same way that you've had me. You're not going to have me right here close we you can hear me and touch me. You're now going to know me like everybody else is going to know me from, from now on uh, because I'm going to send my spirit. He doesn't say that here, but that's the sense of his ascension. And then he pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to send my spirit. He had already talked to his disciples about this on, on that Thursday evening before he was crucified and, and, and said, uh, I'm going to send my spirit and he'll be in you and will be with you. And, and he'll enable me Therefore, to make my home in you. So Mary, I'm going to go to my father and your father. Always our fathers, but in a different way. Me, because I'm God the Son. You, because you're adopted into the family through me. So go tell my brothers. And so from this, she's actually to gain assurance. Uh, the suspicion is that later she would think about this and say, oh, I get it now. I am dwelt by His Spirit. So now He's always with me. Before He was only with me when I could see Him physically. But now He's always with me. He's with me. When times are good, He's with me. When times are bad, He's with me. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, He will be uh, with me and with us how is it with you when you encounter jesus the risen jesus what's revealed in your heart uh, for, for mary what was revealed was faith she really believed What about for you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, give you thanks that Christ has risen from the dead, that he has ascended and is ruling and reigning, that he sent his spirit to live in us and be with us so that we would know your presence. Father, Please, I pray. Enable us to know that we are known by you, that Jesus, you know our names. That you intercede for us always, that our salvation is secure, that our lives now and for eternity are safe in you. Father, I can't help but think on this day of my my dear friend Don Flory, a man known many to us, but... uh, more importantly, known to you, that though he's passed from this life, that we know he's with you and rejoicing in your presence. I pray for Kathy and their children and their family, to comfort them in their grief, with the blessed assurance that because Christ has been raised, that we too will be raised with him. I pray, God, for the ministry of our church during this time. With this virus around us, uh, keep us faithful to the gospel, that we may always be ready to share the hope that's within us. And we'd always have on our lips that Christ has risen. I pray particularly for those who during this time have come to at least begin to consider the claims of Christ. And for those who have come to faith or returned to the faith in these days, Father, may you give grace to grow their faith. And to keep them following you. Father, I pray that we would not grow weary of new routines of life that sometimes seem tedious, but that we continue to find joy in loving one another and helping one another, sharing life with one another. Father, that we would continue to have a strong sense of oneness, of unity, of being together. Father, I pray especially for the children. That they would know that they're loved by you and by our whole church community. Father, give us wisdom. Wisdom as we begin to think about returning to gathered fellowship. Guide us, we pray, to do that which is wise for our health and the health of our neighbors and for the strengthening of our faith. I'm thinking too, Father, of the many who feel vulnerable in these days. For those who are on the front lines of caring for and helping and serving others, hospitals and medical offices and grocery stores and service stations and for firefighters and police officers and so many others. Father, keep them safe. Please give them joy as they serve. For the elderly, those who are in nursing homes, those with health challenges, be with them. For teachers and educators who are Finding new ways to teach, and for students who are finding new ways to learn, be with them. For those whose jobs are in jeopardy, for those who have lost jobs, for those who are looking for jobs, for that bring help to them, peace to them, faith to them, work to them. Father, for moms and dads who are juggling even more than before, and kids who may well feel juggled, help them, give them rest. And they will each to find new patterns of life together that will be helpful when life returns to something of what it was before, for those who struggle with temptations that are made worse by our present situation, addictions, abuse, for those for whom depression and anxiety seem more real than ever. Father, we pray for those who are sick throughout our country, and the world, that you would bring healing to them. Please, we pray, contain the spread of infection. For leaders in government and science and health and education and church, give wisdom, the wisdom that is from above, that is pure, that's peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, as the Scripture says. Lord, we pray that though these days seem dark, that we'd be assured that you're our light, that you see and know everything that's happening. Though we feel vulnerable, we would know that you, God, are our salvation, our stronghold, that we'd see the beauty of your righteousness and your power and your goodness and love and grace and mercy and wisdom, that you would teach us your purpose for us in these days, how we're to live. That we'd not give in to the false witness that, Tell us that you're not powerful or wise or good. But that we would know the truth. It would wait upon you. That we would continue to trust in you. And in you alone. In this we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.